When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like my show, you're going to love the Big 12 Podcast. Join host Chuck Cooperstein each week as he covers all the happenings at Baylor, Iowa State, University of Kansas, Kansas State, University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, and West Virginia. So don't miss the Big 12 Podcast on Podcast One, PodcastOne.com, and Apple Podcasts. Also remember to rate and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest after, I believe, a fairly long hiatus, one of the first ever guests in Real Jam Radio, but of course he's been on many times since, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, now of The Athletic, formerly of many other outlets doing amazing work for such a long time. And I wanted to have him on to talk about everything that's happened since July 1st. Um, LeBron going to the Lakers, Paul George sticking in Oklahoma City, everything that's gone on with the Warriors and Rockets, of course, as well. So we go through all of that. And it's a great conversation, as I hope you would hope from the two of us. And this episode is brought to you by MeUndies. You can get 15% off your first pair by going to MeUndies.com slash RealGM. And there's a special promotion, but I'm going to talk about that during the show. On top of that. Also, hymns. You go to forhymns.com slash real, and you can get a trial month for $5, which is pretty awesome. And then our friends at TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. The episode with Ethan runs a little bit over an hour, really enjoyed it, covered a lot of ground during that time. And for those of you who are familiar with conversations with the two of us, we like to go in different directions and challenge each other and challenge our, our thoughts on the league and everything else. So I think you'll enjoy it. A lot of stuff that you won't hear that many other places. So I hope Hope you really get a lot out of it. I, of course, love talking to him. One other thing I will note is the periodic edition of his young son. That was, you know, it, it is a part of a part of the show. Let's call it, let's put it that way. So you can appreciate the joys of, of Ethan being a new dad. And that's a, a part of this episode. So I tried to clean it up as best I could, but there are times when you hear him. So enjoy. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Let's do it. I'm excited. This is my favorite time of year in the NBA, I think. I love Summer League, Danny. I love it. I love it. I don't care how tacky it is. I don't care how all the, the hipster basketball people. I'm throwing a shot at you one, Kevin Arnovitz, by the way, who like to wax poetic about how Summer League used to be this little small time operation and you got to hang out and now it's this big glitzy glam fest i still love it i'm still excited to go to vegas i'm excited to see you there it's a good time man it's a good time and it's fun because i've finally gotten into the balance it took a couple of years uh and of course watching on tv before that of being like okay you take little little nuggets from this little morsels from this but you don't make big pronouncements or big big things because there can be a lot of fool's gold but if you get the little underlying things about like who has a good head on their shoulders who is an nba caliber athlete that's a big one and so for me you're really looking for who pops who doesn't and so for pops it's it's really any age but if they don't like if you're if you're a second year player and you look like just another guy out there then i start to get really concerned or if you're a third year or whatever so those sorts of things of course being able to see everybody who gets in town that's a congregation which is a lot of fun and yeah, it, it, it's its own thing. And I think that's what I had to kind of take away from it is, okay, treat treat Summer League for Summer League, appreciate it for what it is, and don't read too much into it. It's hard because we don't get the answers until so much later. I was just talking with you about how, is it really, it's going to be Dante Exum's fifth season next season? Is am I, is that off the top of my head correct? Is that it, true? It will, yeah, it, it will be. So he was drafted. Yeah, I guess that's the way to put it. He missed so much time that you yeah. kind of think of it differently. But yeah, he was 
drafted in 2013 that has to have been. Mm-hmm. No, 20, 2014. 14. Yeah. 13 so, was the Anthony Bennett class. So I remember seeing Dante Exum at, at his first summer league and thinking, this guy is going to be a star. And guess what? He still could become a star. He's very young. We still don't know. The verdict is not in on Dante Exum. So it just shows you uh, th- this idea that you're going to get the jump on everybody in many instances is not correct. I think Aaron Gordon's another guy like that where it's uh, the fifth season and we still don't totally know what we have in, in, in Aaron Gordon as well. So I've disabused myself of the notion that I'm, I'm going to uh, – figure it out based on seeing these guys at summer league. I agree with you. You know what it is? It's easier to red flag guys than it is to see actual stardom. I think sadly it's easier to, to make a negative judgment that's accurate than a positive judgment that's accurate in that environment. Yeah. And that can be on a kind of recognition standpoint. It can be on an athletic one and, and a point that you and I can attest to because of following a team as long as we have, even though we cover the whole league is how important development in your career is. I think a lot of people, for whatever reason, think that how good you are at the start is a, it is an important part of how good, you know, a guy's peak is or anything like that. But every single good player in the NBA has to get so much better. And that improvement over the course of years is to me much, it, you know, it, it's hard to predict. If I were, yeah. if I were good at predicting that, then I would be making a lot more money. I would have a, a different job. Not that I would necessarily oh, it, like it, it more. It, it can but, be counterintuitive too, as far sure. as how that trajectory goes. As John Hollinger was uh, fond of noting, turnovers, a high turnover rate is actually a positive indicator for a rookie because it means that they are testing the fences like the Raptors in Jurassic Park. Uh, and they're, they're, they're trying things. I worry per Patrick McCaw's development that he doesn't have enough turnovers. I know that that, that Kerr would probably have him banished if, um, if those turnovers crept up, but at the same time, you want him to be trying things so he can experience a learning curve. But that's very con- counterintuitive, this idea that screwing up actually is a positive indicator, and that just shows you uh, the difficulty in projecting how these guys are going to learn the game going forward. We can go from there to some guys that have it a a little bit more together at this point. And I think this is the first podcast I've done after July 1st. And what was striking to me is how decentralized the stars are in the West now. I mean, they're almost all in the West. That's worth noting. You know, of the last year's ESPN ranked top 15 guys, I think only one of them, Giannis, oh no, two, because I think John Wall was technically 15th, are in the Eastern Conference. And, but what's different than what I expected, I guess, is, you know, Paul George and Russell Westbrook are in Oklahoma City. That team will be good. I don't think they will be, you know, they're probably an injury or two away from really competing for a championship. They're in that line. Then LeBron and the Lakers, I think they will get there eventually, but based on the moves they've made this year, I don't think they're going to be there for the 18-19 season without something big happening. Yeah, I think that's a great observation, and it's one that fell by the wayside because people were so fixated on how top-heavy the league was and how dominant the West is. They also didn't take in consideration that the West is a little bit more spread out than you would have thought, especially with you know Paul George staying in in Oklahoma City, that that helps the spread, that gives uh, a plausible 50-something win team out there to continue to compete, which, you know, I I, I think it's tough for the NBA that that Oklahoma City is a small market, but they are branded. They, 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 They were branded in such a way that they're an oddly public team, and they get great TV ratings. So I actually think that's a counterintuitive. That's the word of the podcast so far, Danny, is counterintuitive. It's a counterintuitive win for the NBA that a star stayed in a small market it and didn't go to a big market. One of the rare instances where that's the case. Though to be noted, it, it depends on where he would have gone. I mean, Paul George yeah. going to LA would have been bigger for television ratings than him staying in Oklahoma City. Oh and no, I'm I'm making the I'm I'm you're making the so so yeah I'm making a crazy sounding argument to me because I think the Lakers are getting that interest no matter what. With that's LeBron. an inter- okay. So so your your point is basically that for them the ceiling is close to where it is already. You know, like yes. that because they're the Lakers. Oh, that's yeah value added kind of as I guess. Yeah, yeah, kneecapping Oklahoma City not worth the extra boost you get from Paul George in in LA. That would be the guess I would make. I mean, if he had gone to Toronto, not because Toronto gets bad, but because they're not based in the US. And that's one of these things that people wonder about all the time, which you, I think, were the first person I ever heard get it right, is that the reason Toronto isn't on TV as much is because a lot of their ratings don't count in the United States, and that's how things get monetized. Yeah, if you're a national broadcaster, 
Oscar, if you're TNT, if you're ESPN, what do you care that TSN gets monster ratings with the Raptors? That's not really something that that, that helps you. So yeah, they're in a strange, <laughs> they're in a strange sort of Schrodinger's uh, Schrodinger's market of being a massive metropolis, huge market in many ways, the biggest city in its country, but just because of the odd idiosyncrasies of how the contracts are set up, they're almost in a way the smallest market of all. So it's it's a very strange place that that, that city finds itself in within the NBA ecosystem. Plenty more to talk about with Ethan, of course, but I want to take a moment to tell you about a new sponsor of ours, MeUndies. Everyone needs underwear. New is better than old. They have to be comfortable, so you should definitely get some MeUndies. They stay put, no moving around, and what's also great is they come right to your door. There are so many varieties to choose from. As I said, extremely comfortable. And something that's pretty cool for me is that they're actually doing two different offers as part of getting in connected with Real Jam Radio. So first of all, there's the no-risk offer. If, so what you do is you go to MeUndies.com slash RealGM. And if you're not happy, they'll refund the cost and you get to keep them. And since you're listening and you go to that URL, MeUndies.com slash RealGM, you get 15% off your first pair plus free shipping. So that one, pretty straightforward. But they're doing another thing, which I think is really cool. So if you order a pair, take a screenshot of your transaction, send it to me, we'll send you another pair. So you get one for 15% off, then you get another pair for free. So you send the proof to gift at podcastone.com. Make sure to put Real GM in the subject line. You can put Real Jam Radio, Real GM, whatever makes you happy, and you'll get another pair in your collection. So the first 25 people to send that proof of purchase, screenshot of the purchase or the receipt, will get another pair for free. Send that to gift at podcastone.com. And then no matter what, if you're in the first 25, that's awesome. If you're not in the first 25, you still get 15% off by going to meundies.com slash real GM. Let's get back to LeBron. And I, I think the way I want to pose this to you is with two different ideas and just kind of how you get from it. So one is that LeBron committed to the Lakers without, as far as we can tell to this moment, a clear championship contender already being there. Like this is different than the big three in Miami. You know, maybe you could say it's closer to Cleveland, but at least Cleveland, their asset base was a little bit different. And that's one. Second piece is that he signed a three plus one, three years with a player option on the fourth. And that combination I found absolutely fascinating. I'm not sure why it surprised me as much as it did, but it's to me, it's a big signal that LeBron is at least mentally for him entering a different phase of thinking about his career. you have to wonder, too, if he didn't realize that his, I wouldn't say lack of commitment, but lack of a long-term commitment made it more difficult to uh, furnish his roster. That, look, Kyrie Irving left in many ways because LeBron wasn't going to stay around. That's, I don't know if that's been reported. I don't know if that's been talked about, but that's the case. I, I don't think, maybe he didn't love being in LeBron's shadow, but from what at least, at least what I've heard and what I heard in the, in the aftermath of that, if there was a solid promise that LeBron James was going to stick around, then Kyrie would have bought into that situation and, and stuck around. But since it wasn't there, he left. And so I, I wonder if this is almost an admission of that, if LeBron has realized that in order to get the surrounding talent he might want, he needs to be committed and he needs to be committed completely um, in a way that he can't back out of because people aren't going to trust that he'll stick around. So that was my read on the situation. And it's a proper move if he wants to add if he wants to add pieces, I think. I saw that part of it, and I think you you bringing up the difference between the way he signed contracts, I think that also is saying something big about Dan Gilbert. Because remember, LeBron signed, I believe it was a three plus one or whatever it was when he was in Miami too. Like that was the other place he signed long-term was in Miami. And Mm -hmm. they had a front office that I think he felt comfortable with, with Riley and Mickey Harrison. While they ended up having beef related to the Mike Miller amnesty, there was, I think there was more trust there with, with Harrison than there ever was with Dan Gilbert. Yes, yeah, so that, that's probably the case. So much with LeBron, it's it's a strange one because it seems that a lot of how he goes about um, what he wants to get is suboptimal for the health of a team, and yet it's so difficult to argue with the results. It seems like his teams are always mired in some kind of drama, some kind of round of recriminations, uh, this general instability that might be exacerbated by how he's been signing these one plus one, so he he might flee at any moment. But can you really argue with LeBron coming back to Cleveland and beating the 73-win Golden State Warriors and getting back to the finals repeatedly? So you can see from LeBron's perspective why he wants 
to do things on his terms. Uh, but it often seems like it might be a little bit of a results over process because sometimes it just it, it makes you shake your head. Right, and I think this past season is a great representation of that whole process. So LeBron, they built this team, Kyrie is gone, and I I don't know, it sounds, at least from the way that it's been spun a little bit, that LeBron would have liked for Kyrie to come back. I'm not sure he did anything to facilitate that, but that that he would have liked it. So they have this team, team is kind of flailing a little bit. LeBron kind of, it sounds like he puts his thumb on the scale to a point saying, we need to change things up, and they do. And so that is another one of the short term things because what Kobe Altman with the blessing of Dan Gilbert, I would bet all of my money on, was that they they kind of rolled the dice on that year. And so you sit there and you go, well, did it work? Okay. So Cleveland made it back to the NBA finals. And, you know, I think they were a better team once all those trades happened, but they didn't keep LeBron. They added a ton of money for the upcoming season and a little bit beyond that. Yeah, with Jordan Clarkson, $12.5 million beyond that. And they also lost a first-round pick in all of those mm-hmm. trades. And so you're sitting there going, well, yeah, was it was it worth it? I mean, possibly. But then the other part of this is if Boston doesn't get decimated with injuries, I don't think Cleveland makes it back anyway. And remember, LeBron had the best first three rounds of the playoffs of almost anybody I can remember. And mm-hmm. so you're sitting there going, well, it's an, again, it's results, process, and context. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, is that Boston team, they needed a, they just needed some buckets in that yeah. series. They just and, needed some Kyrie Irving buckets. Right. And that series was close to, I mean, Cleveland was still awful defensively in, in the playoffs. Like they, they, and all this stuff about, you know, like, yeah, it's true. Cleveland made it to the, made it to the finals four times. And that's an accomplishment for LeBron. And certainly his teammates helped out. But again, this gets into the idea of context, because if you didn't have the, the delineations the way they are right now, a, a couple of those Cleveland teams probably wouldn't have made it. They weren't, certainly weren't better than either the Warriors or the Rockets last year. And in numerous other years, I mean, I think that Oklahoma City team, which ended up losing to the Warriors in 2016, I think they would have beaten the Cavs. You know, it's not a definite. I'm not saying, oh, it was yeah. like a, an 80 to 90% chance OKC would have won, but I would have given them greater than 50%. And yeah. so Cleveland, they get the benefit of being in this, not only uh, like a kind of a star-deprived conference, but an elite team-deprived conference. Because you even think about, so the, the best regular season teams that made it out of the East during this return for LeBron in Cleveland, you know, like that Atlanta team, they weren't yeah. healthy. They weren't healthy when they made it. But I think a lot of us who watched a lot of the NBA are like, oh, they're not, they're like this isn't going to work as much in the playoffs. It was kind of paralleling the modern Spurs as opposed to the, like, the old, earlier ones just where you just didn't think the offense was going to work as well well when you got elite talent i would say the toronto team this past year was similar to that i mean so they there are a couple of those stories of like oh you know that was nice that they did it but the the best teams weren't generally healthy and they weren't even good enough to really threaten so i, I certainly want to give credit because you can't blame somebody for just beating the teams that are in front of them but i do think it's important to note that it's not like they faced any sort of behemoth at any point during this four-year run yeah, and a lot of that is about the quirks of the conference system and just the place that they're in. But they did, they did, you know, exceed expectations in many respects, and maybe they they knew they would. I mean, there's a lot of creeping determinism as far as how that Raptor series was going to go, where people go, "Oh, I knew," you know, we all knew that they. I don't think a lot of people knew that the Raptors were about to get smoked four games to nothing, considering the huge chasm and regular season performance. I think a lot of people, well, they wouldn't want to admit it, did actually think that the Raptors had put it together and had finally congealed. And so they they, they did play a little bit of possum, which is also, that's, that's a confusing one as far as, you know, what their process is and how lucky did they get. It's hard to know how lucky they got because a lot of the time they were trying selectively. That's a great point. And for the Lakers, they now have LeBron, best player in the world at the time being. We'll see how long that lasts. I Every year it impresses me how little he's stepped off. And the regular season defense, you know, I think we've gotten to the point where that's not going to be a part of this. That's okay. And he can, as long as he can do a little bit better, and he was just unbelievable offensively. But the other big part for me so far, and there, nothing is, you know, nothing is set for next year or beyond that. But what always interests me is, is that threshold between two elite players in three. I think that with two lead players, you can get a lot done. You can you can win a championship for sure. But when you have three, then you're in the serious mix 
basically no matter what else is out there. You know, if you mm. can have I like this rule. I like yeah, it. Yeah, if you can have three elite talents, then it doesn't yeah, I, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to win because there can be multiple teams. And so what concerns me a little bit with the Lakers is I think they put themselves in very good position to get two. Very good position. They could do it through free agency next year, they could do it through a trade basically anytime they want. Getting three is going to be hard. I think the way that that happens is actually by not making a trade and by hoping that one of the guys they already have becomes that guy. And it is mm-hmm. certainly possible, but that is a lot less likely than if they had gotten Paul George and then traded for Kawhi or however you want to put that. So yeah. they're not out of the woods. And I, I think if any team was going to do something like that, it could be the Lakers. Do, do you think they made a tactical error if some of the rumors were true and Paul George was put off by the idea that they wanted Kawhi? Do you think they made a tactical error not getting Paul George and just letting the Kawhi situation play out for whoever else it plays out for, that they should have gone Paul George? It's so weird because of Kawhi's health stuff. If Kawhi, yeah. if that had never happened, I would have said, oh, Kawhi is definitely, I mean, he's younger, he he fits in better. I think, you know, I, you can make an argument that Paul George, while an inferior player to Kawhi Leonard by, you know, what Kawhi was in 16-17, in by a significant margin— just because Paul George knows that he's second, you know, he's secondary offensively and then defensively he can ramp it up. I thought there were times in OKC where that really worked, but I still think it's Kawhi. Like that's how yeah. much I believe in him is that I think Kawhi, he has the ability, like the MVP part of this, I think is important. And so like you look at that real MVP upside and while Paul George is still a wonderful player, I think that it's, he's not that, you know, first team all NBA, maybe not even second team all NBA guy. I wouldn't expect that moving forward. And while Kawhi's going to have to get to at least 90, maybe 95% of what he was to reach it. He still can't. And so I think that possibility makes makes him more interesting to me if your goal is to win a championship. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's very complicated. It's a very complicated situation. And I, I don't want to uh, cast aspersions on the Lakers brain trust, but I, I don't know if they are the elite of the elite of, of navigating such a situation, even if it's going to work out decently for them and at least they have the basis of LeBron for now. Yeah, that's been one of the the stranger takeaways for me of what happened on July 1st or at least early in July 1st and what happened everywhere else was, you know, I thought the Lakers, Palenka and Magic did a spectacular job of navigating everything to that point. So you to they got out of Jordan Clarkson's contract. I think the trade with tr- dumping D'Angelo Russell, you know, using D'Angelo Russell to dump Mozgov, I think that worked out really well for them. Though it's interesting that they probably didn't need to clear all of that space, ended up to get mm. LeBron. Anyway, that's a separate story for a separate day. But yeah. I think that made a lot of sense. I think they traded, at least for right now, it looks like they got good value for, for D'Angelo. And so they did all that well. Well, I thought a lot of the in-season moves Nate and I talked about on Dunked On, just a lot of the stuff that they've done over the last couple of years ended up working out really well. So you have all of that. And I think they were working towards a very specific goal and they did a very, very good job of accomplishing that. That's one thing. How they have responded after that is very concerning to me in a large scale sense, because I would, I had always kind of had it in my head that if you do the other stuff right and you, you clear the decks, you have all these good young pieces, you are, are the Los Angeles Lakers. So you can credibly get somebody that, okay, you get LeBron that kind of the, the correlating factors are okay. So if a team team does all that, right, they're going to know what to do around LeBron James because they did all these other things, right. And I do not have a good feeling about the way that they chose to interpret that set of stuff because like Lance Stevenson, fine basketball player. I I am not as low on Lance as I am on Rondo, Mm. but he's not a great fit with LeBron James because Lance likes having the ball in his hands. He's not a great catch and shoot guy though. He he can do it sometimes, but it's just, it's not a strength of his opponents aren't freaking out when he has the, when you, he's the next pass and you go, Oh God, Lance Stevenson shooting. And Rondo. He's just, he's just as liable to get the ball, wiggle a little bit and do a pull up mid range, uh, mid range shot when it, when it swings around to him open from three right and I, I thought he played a wonderful role with the Pacers this past year as kind of being an, an energy boost when they needed it and the the role of him kind of coming off the bench but sometimes closing games I thought that fit in really well with with Oladipo and everything else at, at the same time they've probably upgraded that that spot a little bit I would uh, say that they probably did too yeah, yeah I mean if we if we are for counting Tyreek as the new as the new Lance Stevenson Tyreek is a lot better at basketball than Lance Stevenson was this past year it's interesting the Warriors had Tyreek in their sights I don't know if he would have been he's one of those players where he's probably underrated and yeah. people might not be aware of how good he's been of late, but I don't know if he fit into what they do all that well. 
So right. that that was it was it was intriguing to me that that was somebody who was uh, who was on their target list. It, it's interesting to me because I wonder what their pitch was because he would fit in really well with this idea that the Warriors did in the regular season, which was keeping Curry and Durant together. Both those guys like finishing the first quarter, as our colleague Anthony Slater wrote a, wrote a really good piece on for the subscribers back in. God, I want to say that was in January. He basically explained why that happened because a lot of people were wondering. He talked to Curry, talked to Katie, mm-hmm. talked to Steph. So if you're going with that approach, then having Tyreek, like his primary role being having the ball in his hands a lot in that early second quarter, fourth quarter part, he'd be awesome at that. Like he would be really, really good at that. But if you want to try to mesh him with everyone else, I think that would have been a little bit weird. But maybe they proposed it as, you know, he would be a, a little bit larger role than that. And then, hey, when you're playing really well, we can we can give you a lot more. That certainly could be a pitch. Maybe they did something else. But yeah, I'd be interested in that as well. It was a move that was intriguing. I kind of wonder how people would have responded to it. It's funny when you look at the Marcus Cousins reaction versus Tyreek Evans, who probably has a better chance of being a quality player next season than DeMarcus does. I wouldn't even say probably. I would say a good I would say if you're making a bet on it, just in a vacuum, you would probably you would bet on Tyreek Evans being better next season, but I don't think we would have the hand wringing that we had in response to the uh, DeMarcus Cousins signing uh, based on Boogie's talent and All Star and, and, and everything else. You're trying to get me there before we talk about Rondo, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold firm on talking <laughs> okay, about Rondo. Okay, okay, no, it's, it's a it's a great no point. segue, we're, no we're segue going, yet. We're going to get there, but but so you you have Lance, and I think Lance is okay, just like KCP. I think KCP is actually a good a good fit with LeBron as long as he can iron out some of the no, I'm just gonna take this shot stuff that that KCP has had in his game for his entire NBA career, even at it going back to Georgia. I, I that's I think that's a guy they didn't want around, but they had to have around if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. Based on what I, based on what I've heard, at least based yeah. on what I've heard, and, and a lot of people a lot of people were very happy. We're gonna get aggregated, aren't we? Is that what's gonna happen? Am I gonna get aggregated, Danny? I, I, I don't know. Aggregated. You might. It, it might get. You don't know with the Lakers. You don't yeah. know. I think KCP was somebody where they were relieved if LeBron wasn't gonna be part of the situation, which I guess they thought he was, but. They would have loved to have move up, moved on from KCP, but you can't do that because LeBron essentially is his agent. So what a funny situation. <laughs> what a hilariously. Yeah, it, it's also funny that KCP ended up going back to L.A., but Nerlens Noel, who was also with Clutch, didn't when he would have had a better opportunity for playing time and ended up in OKC where, you know, sure, they gave him a player option on that second year. And I think that might have been actually what happened was maybe the Lakers said, sure, we'll bring you on one year. And then OKC is like, yeah, we'll give you a player option on that second year. And he just didn't want to take the risk. That's my theory of what happened. God, Nerlens Noel is really getting around the league. <laughs> he is. <laughs> kind of impressively. He is. And, and he's still still talented. And like I, I saw it sometimes when he was playing in Dallas this past year where you, you'd watch him defensively and he's putting it together a little bit offensively. You go, oh, the, the guy that I, I mean, I had him, I'm trying to remember if I had him number one or two behind Oladipo in that class. I think I had him two behind Oladipo due to the injury. And like mm-hmm. you still see some of that in there. Oh, but, I know. I, I know people, the Warriors, who were bemoaning what the Sixers had done and cutting him loose, and then I know people, at least not not within the Mavericks, but uh, people who who cover them were like, oh, eye opener. Oh man, this guy's got this guy's got talent. Here we go, and it, it seems to end the same way, no matter what. Yeah, it does. So let's get back to another guy who's been bouncing around the league a long time, Rajon Rondo. And I think Rondo is, for me, the big one that just doesn't make sense with LeBron for two reasons. So one is Rondo's conflict potentially with Lonzo Ball, assuming Lonzo Ball stays on the team. We don't know that for sure. But secondly, he just doesn't make sense with LeBron James because we just saw in the second round, and I'm guessing LeBron was occupied with beating the ever-loving crap out of the Toronto Raptors, but we saw an entire series, and this is not the regular season, and Rondo was a, a very valuable regular season player, and he did well in the first round against Portland. But that entire second round series swung on the Warriors not defending Rajon Rondo. Yeah. And that is, Anthony Davis was actually very good in that series, but the Warriors made life so hard on him because they just didn't care about guarding Rajon Rondo. And LeBron James is a similar kind of force multiplier for a lot of other guys, but he can't do that with Rondo because Rondo doesn't have that skill set. And so he can play a part in all of this, but I'm just sitting there going, okay, you have LeBron, you have these other things, you have, let's call it 9 to 12 million in space. Why is he the guy you want? I can't tell you why. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You have to wonder if Magic Johnson uh, might have a certain perspective on an, an assist man like Rajon Rondo, but 
I agree with everything you just said. I don't think it's a very good fit, but I've always felt this way on Rondo. I've always felt that he's overvalued. That's not to dismiss the value that he's brought, but I, I, I think that he's somebody where he perhaps is part of a point guard archetype that people believe is necessary or are a little bit emotionally attached to, and they discount some of the negatives. And when your point guard can't shoot, that hinders your offense so much, especially in a playoff setting where it can be schemed for, because everybody else's point guard can shoot for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there are a few we could find where the, the you know, might be worse uh, than Rondo, or you might not have the expectation that it would make an open three-pointer if we really scoured, but it's 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 really a bad, God, what is it, a comparative advantage? What term am I looking for? But just the idea that your point guard can't shoot and everybody else's point guard can shoot, that's not a good thing. Right, and it gets into an idea that you've talked about well and has become a focus for some of us in the last few years, which is if we're thinking about the playoffs, and certainly the Lakers are, it's not their only motivation, but it's a part of it. Severity of strengths is certainly important. You know, if you can get your shot off against everybody, if you can get to the basket against everybody, if you can still be a good defensive player, those matter, not discounting that at all. But the other thing that is extremely important are the severity of weaknesses because teams can attack it. And the easier you make it for an opponent to game plan, the more likely it is that it's going to happen. And with Rondo, it's very, very easy to do. And I think modern defenses are even better suited to doing so than they were five, ten years ago. The smarter the league gets, the better it is about scouting and having a sort of specificity of tactics the more one's glaring weaknesses are, are are at issue as opposed to in the past where maybe it was a little bit more like rolling the ball out there and everybody playing. And also the illegal defense rules shifted uh, the strategy to a certain extent. Everybody has to have a role now. Everybody has a part in what goes on on the floor. And the switch heavy defenses are a huge part of that too, where people can be targeted one way or the other. And I think a major shift in basketball, though I'm sure other teams have done it, was what the Warriors did to Tony Allen in the 2015 playoffs. I think that declared an open season on shooters, that you are going to be targeted in this specific way. It's going to be extreme. It's going to be extremely humiliating also if you can't persevere through it. And that that has made it even more difficult for a Rondo-like player. It has. And I think that there's an there's a parallel to that. It's not the same thing, but there's a parallel to that, which is when a guy's game works against most opponents or even a team, like you could you could get into some examples here, their game works. But as the talent increases, so what you were talking about with Rondo, that's more about scouting, preparation, execution, which is certainly valid. But then there's another part, and I think of DeRozan with it, where what they do works a lot better against non-elite talent than elite talent. And that that's true of everybody, but there are certain guys where the margin the margin is greater. And the problem with that, if your goal is to win a championship, which it doesn't always have to be, there are lots of different ways to define success. Now, now is that about foul-seeking behavior? What no. do you think that's about? I think it's about the physical advantage. So what, what DeRozan, he's very, he has a lot of moves, but mm-hmm. if you're facing guys that are elite at moving, that have, that have like Paul, that Paul George series going back a couple of years ago, like when they were facing the Pacers and the Raptors did still win that series in seven. But it's that a lot of that stuff doesn't work against the best guys because they're the best guys. You know, like they're, they're, there's a narrow group. It's probably like five or fewer guys in the league right now that can do a really good job. And the foul seeking is though a part of it to be sure, because the, the league just doesn't call as many fouls. The procedures on it are very different in the playoffs. And so it's harder to eat. I mean, I think that there were some Rockets fans that were very frustrated about that with James Harden in the Western in the Western Conference Finals. But that's also just the way the league is. It wasn't anything new. It was certainly different from how things were called in the regular season. But I don't think you can be mad about it unless I mean you can certainly. I mean it's it is an incongruity, but it is a it is congruous with historical precedent. Yeah, I I, I always wondered back in the day if that was just a mythology of the. Uh... God, what's the word? Tighter whistle? Quieter whistle? I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it does make you reassess what is Harden's ultimate value. What is it? I think hey, you could dismiss it as a, a sports radio shock jock type take when when Colin Cowherd was was yelling he ain't that valuable because he doesn't get that, that whistle in May about Harden. But there is something to that where you have to wonder what is this guy's value if he can give you, I don't know, hell, 15 wins in the regular season, which is tremendous. But when you really need him um, in the postseason is not going to be near that level. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's that's certainly the case. And it becomes and I think that's part of why getting Chris Paul there was was useful just to be another another option, you know, another another way to get offense going. And they had so much defensively in terms of Ariza and Capella and PJ Tucker and Bamute before he hurt got hurt in the shoulder and couldn't make a layup and then thus was borderline unplayable in that series. And Eric Gordon, I think, did a really nice job for them overall. But it is true that the margin, I mean, their historical offense was built on two elements that you could argue are unsustainable in the long term. So one is the foul drawing. Then the second one is just, it is hard to believe that a historical anomaly like them being the best isolation team in NBA history is going to continue just because you wouldn't believe it would continue for anybody, even the most talented isolation team in history. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Although, I mean, hey, they made they made this bet. They bet on their style. And I, I wrote a lot about it. And I didn't really fault them for it. Um, and people will point out that it damn near worked. It, it didn't work in maybe the way you would have thought it would, which would be <laughs> hard and actually playing well. <laughs> you know, he was in many ways just a colossal disappointment. And I, I mean, now we're getting to the meta conversation. We're in the conversation conversation. But I was a little surprised that he evaded some of the typical scorn that's heaped upon people who fail that much on that kind of stage. Um, I, I don't know what happened with that. Did Chris I miss Paul it? got hurt. That's what happened. That's what happened. That was the narrative. Chris Paul got hurt. And so nobody, I, I think people did notice to a certain extent, but my God, <laughs> he was the MVP of the league. Yeah. And, and I think I am. So first of all, I'm happy that the league has finally gotten away from this idea that the MVP has to be the most outsta- has to be the best player in the league, because that is, you know, if you want to give an award for the best player, you can do that. It would just be called best player. Or something I, like I that. would I would be happy if they gave the MVP after the postseason and made it an 82 versus playoffs. Uh, I, I, so I'm fine with either one of those. So I'm, I'm yeah. there are a couple of different ideas that I'm down with. So one is doing a separate playoff MVP. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, Baseball does it. Hockey does it. I'd be cool with that. Second, I would be fine with having, as you said, a full league year MVP. And I think there would be a lot of recency bias with it, to be sure. I mean, you would you would see circumstances, but it would be getting at that. And the other one, I think I've pitched this to you probably like four or five years ago because we're old. But yeah. the so the idea that I had of giving out regular season MVP and most outstanding player and then giving a separate award, like kind of my idea was not the Stanley Cup, but something like that where it was a permanent physical trophy and yeah. passing that between the players who won both in the same year. So this is kind of an analog to what Simmons does did with the like grading of MVPs, but instead it's like, okay, because if you win both of those, you are unquestioned, like to me, the best player in the league. Like if you're the most valuable and you're the most outstanding, it's like, okay, that that's where you are. You know, like Steph Curry in 15, 16 was that guy. There, there have been a few over the course of it. So you could go in that direction, but yeah, it, it is a little bit weird that the NBA doesn't have that sort of an award because to, to recognize accomplishment and maybe it there wouldn't be a historical like you know parallel would be drawn out of thin air you wouldn't go back and like retroactively give that award in other years but it would still be a cool thing to have moving forward i agree i agree and i think asher does too he's very excited in the background about about that idea danny and again i'm just looking at hard and stats and in that in that series and just going oh my god 20.1 percent from three-point range at home on on, on 12 three-pointers a game uh it's just amazing. It's just it's, it's well, absolutely. And it's absolutely also amazing. it's also interesting because there was a very easy narrative, which I'm I'm sort of happy didn't get done. But Harden having really bad last elimination games against the Warriors in playoff mm-hmm. series because yeah. going back in that was 16, right, where he had the like 14 turnovers or whatever it was. He's had some real just stinker games when they got knocked out against the Warriors. I think yeah, whatever year that was, that was the game when I think Dwight got kicked out for elbowing Andre yeah. Udall in the head. Uh, one of the other reasons why Dwight Howard was probably not going I, to I be a warrior. I have vague memories of Andre stripping him a bunch. Yeah. Vague memories of that. Yeah. So, I mean, you have all of those things. For Harden's sake, I'm happy that it didn't happen. I think Harden is a player that gets... I, I think that, sort of like Russell Westbrook, where part of the f- problems that people have with him is by inflating what they are. You know, like, yeah. I, I had Harden... I had Harden last year. I probably would have had him as, like, the fifth or sixth best guy in the league. When Westbrook won the MVP, I had him seventh or eighth. That's fine. You know, that's a, a remarkable accomplishment. I had both of those guys as my MVPs. Mm. But if you think, oh, they're the cure-all, they're the best player on a, on a title team just by being on that team well that's not what they are yeah we, still- we do this thing where we do build them up 
to uh, to then um, to yeah. then break them down again. Right, and, and, and that's why it's amazing that LeBron has been able to persist all this because I think that's been happening with him. It's just that he doesn't get torn down very often yeah. because he's yeah. Sour. It's just it's just one of those things uh, where, and I think I've said this on other podcasts where I just would have expected more of the typical unsympathetic delighting and failure. Uh, reaction with Harden, but something else is going on. I think the 27 three-pointers, the 27 missed threes in a row was enough of a shocking collective failure stat that I think in some ways it distracted from Harden's individual struggles. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Plenty more with Ethan, but I want to take a moment to tell you about our friends at Hims. Hims is going after a challenging problem, but one that they can really do some help in, and that is that more than two thirds of men start losing their hair by the age of thirty-five. As somebody who is not quite there yet, but getting there, I'm certainly concerned by it. And Hims understands, as as everyone should, that it's a lot harder to get hair back than to keep the hair you have. And so that's really what they're getting at. They connect you with real doctors and medical grade solutions for hair loss, well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair and don't have to deal with waiting rooms, awkward doctor visits. You can save a lot of time. Also, you can get products shipped directly to your door. So it is a great way of going after this problem of hair loss. And I'm fortunate that it hasn't really hit me too hard yet, but HIMS is an amazing way to solve that. And so what you do, you go to forhims.com, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash real, R-E-A-L. That does two things. One, it tells them that you came from us, which is awesome. And two, you can get a trial month of HIMS for just $5 right now while supplies last. You can check out the website for full details. It's an absolutely great value. Cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or pharmacy. So again, if you want to check it out, www.4hims.com slash real for a $5 trial month of HIMS. I also want to tell you about our friends at TrueCar. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you are really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from TrueCar. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So, when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. So for right now, I mean, obviously there's a lot that can change between early July and mid-August, much less April. But kind of how are you seeing the the kind of the top part of the West? We don't need to go all the way down because people don't care. But so I, I would say probably the Warriors, in terms of the regular season, the Warriors and Rockets are, are at the top in, in either order. And then like, would you have the Lakers in with some other teams like the Thunder or kind of how are, how are you seeing this playing out? I haven't really given it a tier system, and it seems maybe a little premature to, to do that. Sure, you don't have to do it we, then. Yeah, because we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't completely know how it all shakes out. I think the Thunder. I I was fading the Thunder in many ways last season, but their defense is legitimate. Oh yeah, I mean that's they they at least have that. They have that much, and it's, and, and that travels too. Like especially in the regular yeah. season, like they they'll they'll win a lot of games just by the other team having a really really bad night, and they're going to be if they can stay remotely healthy, they'll be pretty deep. I mean, I think they're deeper this year than they it, were last year, and they're not going to get worse from, worse play from Patrick Patterson than they did. I would hope. Yeah, and, and it helps that they don't have the sort of. I think last year there was almost an impetus to try to make Mello happen. So. Not having that really anymore as an impetus, I think, is is redounds to their benefit. So yeah, instead the uh, Lakers will probably have to make that happen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel no matter. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's all for the good when it comes to Oklahoma City. I'm trying to think of uh, you know. Uh, are the Spurs going to uncork an incredibly boring, unlikely 50-win season? Are they capable of that? Um, they seem to be deteriorating in some ways. But I look, that's maybe that's for a future podcast. Yeah. I haven't thought to... That's fine. Re- because really, there's, there, there are two tiers, it seems. It's the Golden State Warriors and everybody else. And, and that's as good of a transition as we're going to get into, into the other kind of big thing we want to talk about, which is the Warriors offseason. I framed this on... I think it was the July 1st episode of Dunked On as them being the biggest winners of 
That was even before LeBron decided, though I would say it's even stronger now than it was then because of two things. So one, you had the decentralization, which we talked about before, and they added a piece who is... I don't think is, I think it's overrated and we'll talk a lot about what DeMarcus did, but I think why they're the biggest winners is just that nobody really stepped up to the plate and loaded up in the way. They're the biggest winners because the Rockets got worse in all likelihood. Yeah. I think that's huge for them. To lose Trevor Ariza is probably the most underrated development of free agency, I would say. It is, and I, there were people who were talking like, oh, you know, well, remember, they still, like, P.J. Tucker was better than he was. Well, then you need somebody to play what P.J. Tucker did. Like, you, yeah. you need to do different things. Like, So even if they bring back Mba Mute for the mid-level exception, which seems possible, then they're going to need somebody to replace Mba Mute. And those are all problems. And Ariza, like, some people are like, oh, yeah, well, like, like Durant still had a big series. Well, Durant had a much better time of it when Trevor Reed yeah. was not guarding him than when he was. Yeah, that the, the background is Durant's internal monologue. It stretches when when Trevor Ariza was guarding him. <laughs> Anybody listening right now? I've I've had to take my son under my arm, and he's making little noises. So that's what that is in the background. And I will I will try to give my Demarcus Cousins takes, and we will try to resist the easy jokes to be made about Demarcus Cousins and a baby making noise. Anyway, I guess we won't resist it because it just happened. So you uh, you want to talk some some Cousins, and there was something about something I said. I I, I remember you were praising me, Danny. I'm, I'm inclined to remember when you praised me. You were praising things I've written. So let's talk about that. That seems like something. But let's to talk t- about. let's talk about praise. So so basically, yeah. what you were getting at in a piece was this idea of fatalism that people think and i i remember being this way sort of with the spurs like even if, even though many understand the limitations with cousins i mean both the physical and the emotional let's call it that it has to work because it's the warriors and so it's you know break up the league or everything like that and so it gets to the point where the people who are most critical of the warriors and their place in the league are also the biggest believers that everything is going to work out for them yeah that's the big irony with the warriors is that their their biggest haters are their biggest believers it's it's new because with the miami heat big three there was that initial this is unfair this is stacking the deck but then it became they're chokers they're going to fail in the end and their biggest haters were not their biggest believers their biggest haters were often presaging doom as skip bayless did the lebron miami heat but in this case it's it's a new level of it's not fair it's rigged and i'm seeing i'm seeing people asking adam silver to do something uh which just seems rather strange to me because all teams are operating under under the same rules as far as i know and so I'm writing about this right now. I don't know how much I want to scoop myself. It'll do a little self-scoopage and just say what's interesting to me about this particular narrative, and I know it will be accused of, uh, I don't know, warriors uh, backing or excuse-making. I'm not going to argue with anybody who feels this way. You can't argue with how people feel. If you personally feel as though you like the league better than uh, with the Warriors this dominant, you don't like the two-tier system of the Warriors and everybody else, you prefer a situation where Kevin Durant is still on the the thunder and there's still a uh, a power and they're going against the Warriors and they're battling it out. That's the system you prefer. I cannot argue with you. That's how you feel. What I can take some issue with is the idea that this is awful for the league in terms of fan interest when the metrics we have on fan interest are actually all in the positive. So that's what I'm wondering. If there's this loud call that Adam Silver must do something, that this is bad for the league, by what standard are we judging bad for the league if the actual fans themselves are more interested than they've been in a while? That's a great point. I will make a very short PSA that I think the stern veto of the Chris Paul trade has gotten a lot of people confused. And the short version there is that I'm going to write on this for Real GM, actually, is that David Stern vetoed that trade as the owner, as the the NBA were the owners of the then Hornets, not at, for some sort of league purpose reason. And so there is not an analog now. There, You cannot reject a trade because it's unfair. You can only, you know, that was as the owner. The problem was... It's, it was, it's not a fantasy league, right. basically. It's, and it's... and. The it would the whole thing would fall apart if you could reject trades for that sort of purpose. Now there is a little thing with like what happened with Stepien, or there might be a certain level where the league would step in, but I don't think they would invalidate things that had already been agreed to. Well, it's this everybody's uh, operating under this. Um they're operating under this assumption that this is a problem that must be fixed. And I guess if you are an NBA owner or you're a hardcore fan of another NBA team, maybe it is a problem to be fixed. Maybe that is something you want to you want to see changed. But that is a different conversation uh, than the conversation about the league's popularity. If I'm reading from well, L- the uh, if I'm reading from the LA Times, 
from from this last season. The NBA has never in its 72-year history had a more successful regular season than it did in 2017-18, according to Forbes. Television ratings increased on each of the four networks that broadcast games. Attendance records were broken. So were records of merchandise sold. The value of franchises was was at an all-time high. That is from this last season after the Warriors won with Kevin Durant. And the reason it's happening doesn't have a lot to do with the Warriors, actually. And this is also what I'm writing about. What it has to do with is that in the skewed conference system we have in the northeastern seaboard, that's where you want to be popular. If you want your league to be popular, especially uh, with the NBA, you have the Celtics and the Sixers with a far more realistic shot at the finals than they would have otherwise seeding one through 16. So if you look at the top five championship odds, the Sixers are in there and the Celtics are in there. That including the Warriors, who are in a big market, is a major reason for the for why ratings are going up. And then when you add LeBron to the Lakers, I think next season is going to be a tremendous success because of all this. So it's funny to me that we're essentially trying to solve a solution and turn it into a problem in many ways. One of the big issues here is the conflation between I don't like this and this is bad for the league. Yes, that is what's happening. And there is also an issue with a non-representative sample. I love the listeners of Real Jam Radio, the people who follow me on Twitter, people who listen to all that stuff. Blame it on Twitter. Everybody's down with blaming Twitter. Blame it on Twitter. I don't want to do all that. It's it's What I'm saying is that the average viewer of an NBA game is more casual than that. I, I, yes. In the bigger markets, in smaller ones, I mean, when you look at the the viewership of like the Pelicans when they weren't super good. Well, I, I I just think of I just think of myself where I followed soccer in college, but not really anymore. And this World Cup, Messi and Ronaldo have been eliminated, right? But if you presented me with a situation where it was Messi or Ronaldo versus a team I didn't know much about that wasn't very good, and an expert could tell me that they don't really have a shot, I'm still watching because I could see I could see Messi. Ronaldo, and I know those guys, versus if you gave me two teams who were very balanced, were very good, and nobody knows which one's going to win, but maybe they're a lower-level country, uh, maybe they're a smaller nation like Croatia, I don't know. I don't want to get well actually too hard on this from the soccer fans. I'm just presenting a hypothetical. I'm just saying that me, as dumb casual soccer fan, cares more about whether Messi and Ronaldo are in the the World Cup final than whether there's competitive balance in the World Cup final. I think the same holds true for the NBA. Right, and the more condensed the star power is, the more different people there are that that draw into the into the sport. And so that's another interesting thing. If if let's say, and this is indefinite, that the Lakers get knocked out in the second round. I wonder how that affects this and how the Eastern Conference ratings will shift with LeBron. I'm very, very interested in that because you talked about the Eastern Seaboard being bigger, how that compares to the absence of LeBron. There's going to be, we're going to get some good data points this year, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. LeBron is the killer app. In, in that conference and we'll get the highest ratings but you wonder how that might be offset by a Sixers Celtics um, Eastern Conference Finals in theory, when those teams huge. are actually healthy hopefully yes hopefully in theory that would be huge so the NBA I think it's a, it's sort of a situation where we're not really honest about what's happening too because it sounds a little cruel and I, I, it's when, when I go the success of the NBA rises and falls with the success of its big markets then people go well are you saying we shouldn't have small markets and the the answer is no, we should have some small markets, but it's a little more complicated than that. It's complicated by how the NBA has too many small markets. And I'm not saying any team individually is a team we shouldn't have. I'm just saying in general, it's too skewed in that way, that the NBA has four markets that are smaller than baseball's smallest market. And that smallest market for baseball is another market the NBA has. That the NBA embarked on a strategy of taking the money up front from these smaller level cities that wanted to make it big time. And the, the NBA leveraged their thirst into free stadium money. And then when about that, when we were about to embark in an era where TV money would be bigger than stadium money and having a, a, a team successful in a huge market would be so much more meaningful than having a free stadium. So they made a strategic error. You can see why they made it. But it's resulted in them, ironically, in a, in a, in a game that's so much more popular in the cities than these other sports that are more popular in rural areas. 
uh, the NBA in many ways is the most rural of the major modern sports. And so it's just a little bit of skew. And so it, it creates a situation where they can have some real, and I'm writing all this, but they can have some really fallow periods if those big markets aren't doing well because you have so many small ones. Well, and, and, and that ties yeah. in with something that I think is extremely important in this that doesn't get talked about enough, which is, and the Celtics are a massive exception to this, obviously. But generally speaking, part of the reason the Western Conference is so much better than the Eastern Conference is because the major market teams in the West have been generally better run than the major market teams in yeah. the East because the Knicks have been a gigantic tire fire for about 20 years. Yeah, and you wonder, I mean, you wonder if there's anything the league could do to Well, to so this gets into something yeah. for me. So to well, me, but what's if funny the league is actually nobody's... cared about revenue, one yeah. of the things they would be able to do is replace an owner for fix. being bad at their job. That's yeah. what it, like, the league, and the the best example of this is, is Donald Sterling. Like, Donald Sterling, if the if the league had had ripped that team away from him 30 years ago, 20 years ago, they would be in a much better circumstance because there are enough people in LA to support two different teams. But when you make a team an, uh, an afterthought, a laughing stock for generations, it gets harder to build a fan base in the, in that city. Yeah. And so the the league I, I know why owners don't want this. It again it's it's like why they're never gonna do a, a top sixteen playoff format. Yeah. Because the owners are not as invested in the league as they are in themselves. And I understand that. We all act in rational self-interest. That There's there's nothing wrong there. It's, it's, just, it's just too bad with the NBA where you wish that they could come to consensus on what was best for the greater good versus what right. was best for and, the individual. And that's what Mark Cuban was getting at in some of the Donald Sterling stuff was kind of the idea of, oh, this could be a really slippery slope. And to a point, he was right. I just disagree that that slippery slope is a bad thing. Like, that. that's yeah. one of the differences that we have. And so or, from- or, or if it is a slippery slope, I'm not going to cry too many tears on, on, on those who are impacted by the slope slipping. Right, um, and especially I, I, because there's no divine right to owning an NBA team. And, you know, if it if it theoretically happened that somebody was wrongfully done like that, as long as they got fair market value for it, which they presumably would, they could even buy into the league again or do yeah. something else. Like, there would be... No, you're, you're, you're right. That, that might be one of the few mechanisms by which you could incentivize that these teams are successful or the NBA would want to be successful. But what's funny is people are almost trying to do the opposite thing. They're almost saying... This is just the small markets can't compete and there needs to be more parity. And this isn't fair that these players take pay cuts to go to these Goliaths. And again, if you're a hardcore NBA fan, I think this is more likely to be your perspective than if you're a casual. I really do, because you want your team to have a shot. And the chances are more likely that your team isn't the Lakers and that they are the Lakers. But at the same time, at the same time, it just runs contra all the data I can see on what actually drives fan interest. It just does. What drives interest, again, are big market teams succeeding and especially big market teams in the correct time zone, which is why the NBA has suffered in many ways for the Northeast not being very good for a while. And whatever you're doing to make that less possible is probably not making the NBA more popular if, if you are able to make that less possible. So, and look, there are valid, there are valid concerns. There are valid concerns of whether the Warriors are too decadent, whether they, this is too much, right? I get it. I completely get it. And I totally get it from an aesthetic perspective. I would not disagree with somebody who said that's their perspective on the league. It's just not validated as far as what the actual fans are resonating to. That's all I'm saying. Right. And and the other point, just briefly, that I'll make there is one of the other big things that hurts the league is these smaller markets that are owned by people who treat it that way. Because if you if a, a team, any team, treats the luxury tax as a do not pass line, it will be hard it, because it, that affects the way you build your team. We talked about it early on in this podcast with the LeBron one plus one contracts affecting the way Cleveland thought about it. As a if if I were offered the job of a team that could never pay the luxury tax, I would be very reluctant to take it because there are just so many things that become complicated if that's the way it is. And certainly sometimes they can go, oh well, we'd go over if we were really really good. But you, the moves you make, the the steps you take are very different in those circumstances. And so you have teams. Charlotte is a really good example of this for me, where they're doing that. To their immense credit, Oklahoma City, they they were in that boat before, it sounded like, with the with the when they traded Harden. I'm thrilled that they have moved away from that with the with the current teams. And but there are still a lot of franchises that are that way where we're not paying the luxury tax. And that's a big problem for competitive balance because there's a soft cap for a reason and they're not following those reasons. 
True. And it's just so difficult. It's so difficult um, because there are all sorts of unintended consequences when you create some rule to try to incentivize some action and that these rules are collectively bargained. So it's not a it's not one economist sitting down with the CBA and, 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 and hammering it out and going, OK, this will work. This is uh, adjudicated. And so it's kind of a mess. It's it, it's kind of a mess in many ways. And I think from the Warriors perspective, and it is an arrogant perspective, it is cocky. They're taking and the whole thing is, hey, man, whatever the rules, we're going to find that market inefficiency. And, that, and that's just that's just the way they view it. And I guess now the hunt is afoot, I suppose, where maybe the league is going to try to curb Warriors dominance and the Warriors are going to try to figure out a way around it. And that's that's what's going to determine the next few years. Yeah. And it also could just be age and time that end up doing this, this for the league, that they don't have to change anything, that guys getting older, guys getting hurt will resolve it. That often happens. Like people have asked me, how are the Warriors going to break up? And my best answer is time. I don't, you know, it might be that one of the players wants to leave. It could be Durant next summer. It could be. That, that would be the most logical, um, probable outcome. But I think the way Joe Lacob sees it um, would be they're going to beat the time curve. I think that's just the way that they would see it. it. That's, that, I think that is the way they see it. And the, the last point, we, we can make this very brief, is I think some people with the, the kind of the idea of fatalism you talked about are overstating the likely impact, not the ceiling, because yeah. the ceiling on DeMarcus Cousins is crazy high, but the likely impact of DeMarcus Cousins, because as it stands right now, he is not a part of the Warriors' best five-man lineup. He gives them a lot of other five-man lineups that are going to yeah. be awesome, but A, we don't know what he's going to be, and B, he's not Andre Woodall. Yeah, maybe they should be a little more concerned about what Jordan Bell is looking like at Summer League. Maybe that's a little more pertinent to the uh, the Warriors' future. Yeah, it could be. And and DeMarcus, phenomenal talent, and we'll see what he can do. But yeah, I mean, and it, again, it's there. there's this group of players that are more famous or more acknowledged because of their talent than their impact on winning basketball. Yeah. And so I think that's well, part I've of always, what led to this. I've, I've always been a, a DeMarcus skeptic, and I'm prepared to be wrong and to be humbled, and I wouldn't be shocked if this particular situation brings out the best in him and my god what can you do what can you do in switching if uh, he's in pick and roll with Steph definitely I, I, I get all that but you know this the Pelicans look pretty good after he went down yeah. for whatever it's worth and it's not like I mean they ended up getting Miritich and Miritich after he just missed a bunch of shots, ended up doing really well for them. Yeah. But yeah, it, it gets into that idea of, you know, like there there are ways to to survive without DeMarcus Cousins because of what, what he does isn't as valuable as what he doesn't do to a certain extent. Mm. But if you can ask him to do less, then maybe that balance I, shifts. If, if I'm going to be a Warriors optimist on this as opposed to a Warriors pessimist, this is the right situation because the man, a lot of guys, even if they aren't the greatest locker room guys, are at least motivated by money and he's he's got quite the financial incentive to be on his best behavior and and come back from injury so at least that is in line for the Warriors yeah I mean he has one of the most straightforward set of incentives we've ever seen in the league because he has to get better physically he's going to they're going to be super patient with him I, and- I, I don't even know if I can remember a situation where there was such a wide chasm in, in what a player could earn based on a half season of performance, yeah. you know, as this is as this is set up. Because if DeMarcus Cousins comes back from injury and looks totally fine and wins the championship and is dominant, then I mean, how much money can he make? I'm trying to close I'm to the to max. Even, I mean, I think you could. I, I, if he looks close to right, he's basically if if he looks bad, he's probably around the minimum. I mean, if he flames out and you know, like he's he's close to or at the maximum if he plays well. That, and how cr- how crazy is it that he's that far? beyond Isaiah Thomas last year who was in that conversation too like Isaiah yeah. Isaiah ended up on the on the downside of that unfortunately but yeah I mean it, it's pretty remarkable let's let's place bets uh when we get to Vegas uh even though it's illegal I think for us to place bets in the NBA but I'd like to place some bets on on what DeMarcus makes next next season that seems oh, like a fun or like the guaranteed money in his next contract oh you can do it a lot of different ways oh that oh be yeah fun. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have some we'll have some conversations. We'll have some conversations. I want to thank you for having me on. I should go though because my guy is wriggling currently. He's giving me he's giving me a wriggle, and I have to probably burp him before he spits up. But uh, thanks for having me, Danny. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, my friend. Thanks again to Ethan Sherwood Strauss for taking the time to come on. You can of course read him at the Athletic. You can listen to him do Warriors Wednesdays on the House of Strauss podcast, and he is a frequent guest other places as well. Of course, I. I can't always keep track of everything, but he's phenomenal. You can follow him on Twitter 
at Sherwood Strauss, S-H-E-R-W-O-O-D-S-T-R-A-U-S-S. And love talking with Ethan. It's it's a pleasure. And we do very little prep. We just go, hey, what do you want to talk about and, and do it? And this was a good one because we needed to get through a lot of different ideas and the, the challenges of it. And if you want to hear more of my kind of transaction by transaction stuff, the best way to do that is on Dunked On. Nate and I go through basically every tra- transaction shortly after it happens. We're taking a couple days as we're both in transit to Vegas and because not as much is happening now over the last couple days now that LeBron and all the other stuff happen. But you can check that out. Writing as much as I can at The Athletic, and I'll have some stuff at Real GM as well. I teased a couple of pieces during this, and there's a lot more coming. It's just kind of when I have the time to get my feet on the ground and really get get stuff going, and I will have plenty on Summer League, including on Real GM Radio, some on Dunked On, I'm sure, as well, and some writing too. So I'm not exactly sure what form that will take yet because I need to see what I see, you know, need to know what it is and where that is the best outlet for it. So that'll all be coming. As always, if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the single best way to do it. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I will try to respond if I can, but I make no promises there, but I do promise to read it. So that that is there. If you want to support the show, there are so many ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If it's not, it's not as good, but still appreciated, of course. You can subscribe, download every episode. That is especially great to do for a podcast like this, which comes out sporadically. It is definitely once a week, but when in that week, sharing changes a lot. And that will always be the case with Real Jam Radio because it depends on guest availability and everything like that. So I would love to have it a consistent day if that worked, but it doesn't, so it doesn't. You can also spread the word however you see fit, word of mouth, word of internet, social media, whatever you want to do. If there's an episode that you really like, if you like the show in general, think other people should listen to it. Really do appreciate that. And then the other just massive thing you can do with this show is you can check out our sponsors. So our new sponsor, MeUndies, you can go to MeUndies.com slash RealGM and you get 15% off and it's a no risk offer. And then if you want to go a step further, you can take a screenshot of your transaction, send it to gift at podcast1.com, including RealGM in the subject line, and you get another pair for free, which is, which is awesome. So you can check out both those things. You can also, for hymns, go to forhims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash real, and you can get a trial month for $5 while supplies last. It's an awesome value. And our friends at TrueCar, great place to buy a new and used car. So all of those things, you tell them you came from us and they help keep the lights on. And I love doing the show. I will keep doing the show, but it makes it easier. And as I've said during the sponsor thing or during the, we're doing the survey, if we get more sponsors, I am open to making the show more times a week. It would probably be two or sporadically a second. I love doing it, even though it takes a while to edit sometimes. It's a passion project. And the easier it is to make that work financially and with all my other commitments, I will make the time to do it. So going into the off season, going to be doing the summer league stuff. I will be bringing back the division capsules. I'm not sure when I'm going to start on those because kind of want to have a better sense of where everything's settling. And we're getting close to the point where not a lot of like earth shaking moves other than some trades like free agent earthquakes are largely toned down at this point just because there isn't that much money to go around. But I want to get it a little bit more settled and people are still processing everything. So I'm guessing that's going to start in late July. There'll be one for every division. So that's eight. That's six podcasts. I know how many divisions there are in the NBA and we'll work from there. Lots of other stuff. And then the beauty of the division capsule podcast is that they can be moved around and adjusted based on other news. So if there is a story that I want to talk about in depth or a guest that I don't, I want to talk to, those will be in there. It's not going to be everything on those. So you can check it out. That's enough rambling, more than enough rambling. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thunderstruck. 
Adjective. Shocked and amazed by the power of fun on Carnival. Riding Bolt, the world's first roller coaster at sea, Brian got thunderstruck so hard, his 93-year-old grandmother felt it 3,000 miles away in Nebraska and immediately booked a cruise. Hooray! Get thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival. Choose fun. Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, import expenses, additional restrictions apply. Full details on Carnival.com. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. You want to go. Yes. Go travel. Go explore. Go find a new city. Go reconnect with friends. Go have fun. That's why we created OnGo, the trusted rapid COVID-19 self-test. OnGo gives you accurate COVID test results and peace of mind in just minutes. So anywhere you go, you know. You'll know if you're COVID-19 free. And you'll know you're protecting loved ones. OnGo is readily available at letsongo.com, Amazon, Walgreens, or Walmart.com. Use promo code ONGO15 for 15% off at letsongo.com today.